It seems like the human cry is always to look how evil it's gotten. It used to be that people could just say, oh, every generation seems to the previous to be in trouble. It's just the nature of humans to always decry the lifestyle of the youth. But anymore, it's gotten all too clear. How could a nation that started out with the worship of the Lord God fall to such a dismal state? Does no one remember that our very laws were focused on the will of God? Now just say you worship the Lord God and watch the people sneer. Rampant sexuality invades every part of our life. Casual sex is not just legal but actually celebrated. In fact, they've made prostitution a religion. Women and boys available for a price and we call it worship. The destruction of babies is carried out with incredible efficiency. And those who propagate and promote these base sins are hailed as illuminated purveyors of freedom. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, of Tishbe and Galead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The very dark days of Elijah's time mirror our own with frightening parallels. But though the darkest days in Israel's history were actually worse, much worse than what we experience. What was God's answer then? At this stage in his plan, what is God's answer now to our cultural malaise? Elijah, Yah, Elijah, short for Yahweh, the name God gave for himself to Moses when this nation we're going to discuss today was born. Elijah's name in total means Yahweh is God. And he says to the evil king of Israel, as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives. <laughs> this was more than a dangerous claim for Elijah to make. We learn as the story progresses that most of the prophets of the Lord, Yahweh, have been executed by those that oppose them. <laughs> okay. In some parts of the world today, this is happening. Not here. Not yet. But Elijah doesn't stop with just the declaration of his worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. No. He claims that God is going to cause economic disaster for this country that has fallen so far from its holy commencement. And that that state will continue as long as he, Elijah, says it will. <laughs> Are there every days when you wish that God would just act like he used to do with those prophets of old? Yes! I get the apostles' question to Jesus when they were rejected in some cities. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I understand where they're coming from. <laughs> But then there's Jesus' response to those apostles. He turned and rebuked them. 
The coming of Jesus changed everything. Something we have to keep in mind as we read through these amazing events. But we can understand Elijah's consternation. We too live in a country that started out so very well and has fallen so very, very far. Elijah simply appears at this point in Israel's history and he then disappears for three years along with the rain. And the economic disaster he promised becomes a reality. Did you notice that nobody does anything when he suddenly appears and makes this audacious claim? I mean, are you kidding me? Why not? Why, why did they ignore him? Well, I think it's because they probably didn't take him seriously. Oh, it's another one of those God people living in a fantasy world. Yeah, I don't think they cared. Nobody would do that nowadays, so I mean, don't worry about it. <laughs> Elijah threatens no rain until I say, then he disappears for three years, and incredibly, no rain. The whole three years, no rain. Trust me, this second time he shows up, <laughs> he's got everyone's attention. <laughs> and when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Ahab tries to put the blame on the guy named Yahweh is God. <laughs> yeah. Do they never learn? <laughs> Not too many years later, Isaiah summed it up pretty well. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. I'm afraid I'm still shocked. It still shocks me when I hear people blaming Christians for the mess that they've put up in. <laughs> what? I guess some things never change. But Elijah corrects Ahab with a very specific accusation. But why now? Why didn't he say this three years before? Oh yeah, nobody thought he knew what he was talking about. Nobody was listening. Isn't it the same today? Can you tell me exactly where you were on September 11th, 2001? How many people who were completely ignoring us before suddenly called out to God on September 11th, 2001? Let's look for a moment at the two aspects of the accusation. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Ahab, king of Israel, quit doing what God said and started promoting a rival deity called Baal. Originally, Baal was a fertility god. Baal and Asherah are usually linked. Asherah worship was often associated with groves, so much so that the name began to mean a grove for this pagan worship. Earlier, this very writer reported that Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Yow! We'll learn more about this as we go. For now, Elijah said, you've quit following the true God. 
You've started chasing after false gods. And that's the trouble in Israel. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Why did Ahab agree to Elijah's demands? Well, for one thing, there's still no rain. <laughs> okay, You know, maybe this nutcase does have some kind of power to make it rain and we'd better appease him until we figure this out. Okay, that's a real possibility. Perhaps Ahab thought that Elijah was setting a trap for himself. 850 to 1? <laughs> Pretty long odds. The popular misconception of the time was that gods were localized. They, they, went, they belonged in one area. And you might could maybe get them to move if you worked hard enough to appease them. Since Ahab didn't think there was just one god, he, quite naturally, thought that the gods might fight against each other. Maybe Baal and his group might overpower Elijah and his god when they got together. And since gods, he thought, were influenced by the flattery of men, maybe they could even influence Elijah's God into taking their side and abandoning this no-rain campaign of Elijah's. <laughs> he certainly didn't get it. But he did let Elijah do his thing. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Note that Elijah assumes monotheism, one God. There's no plural gods here. Pick one or the other. <laughs> Pick. But they kept their mouths shut. They wouldn't commit either way. You know, were they afraid of Yahweh and his prophet? Were they afraid of Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal? Did they really enjoy the pleasures of sin which last a moment but didn't like the feelings of guilt that come with such actions? I don't know. Or was it something entirely different? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Could it be that they didn't speak out against Ahab's gods because in reality, Ahab was just the guy that echoed their belief? <laughs> you don't want to complain about the president? That's a popular pastime in America. He's just the reflection of how the majority of Americans were feeling when they filled out their ballots. That's it. Maybe instead of complaining about our leaders, we should do something about our culture. Elijah understood that. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. You might think more means better, but don't bet on it. <laughs> I'm thinking you've heard it yourself. Hey, everybody does it. <laughs> the majority of scientists agree that. The weight of evidence shows might makes right. <laughs> yeah? The truth does not vary with what any or every human thinks. It's what the Lord, Yahweh, says. But why does Elijah say, 
Baal's 450. What, what happened to the 400 prophets of Asherah? Well, you see, these people are hedonists, pleasure seekers. That's what they do. Can we just say that this kind of person is rarely concerned with serious issues? It's not. Asherah worship involved ritual prostitution. These priests were glorified pimps. Okay? When it comes to serious business, they just don't really figure in the equation. So Elijah says, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and I will put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Well, they finally speak up <laughs> and they say, let's, let's see what works. The proof's in the pudding. That sort of idea. That's not a bad method for finding the correct answer. We're going to talk about the altar of Baal and what it was like later, but for the moment we need to realize that there probably wasn't one on Mount Carmel, so they were a little bit out of their element. But we have this interesting similarity between Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh, and the prophets of Baal. Why do both expect that a sacrifice is necessary? Simple. Because they all know that things aren't right and something needs to be done about it. It's the same today. Listen to these words. Degrade, humiliate, disadvantage. I might have used those words in describing the existence of a person trapped in a homosexual lifestyle. But actually, Supreme Court Justice Kennedy a few days ago used them to describe a law upholding traditional marriage. Something's wrong. And we've got to do something about it. The question is, what is right? There is right and wrong. Remember that old argument, you can't legislate morality? You remember that one? Well, it's disappeared entirely, actually, because it was stupid. Okay? <laughs> All laws are ultimately about morality. All laws. But who is it that should determine morality? Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. We have to understand that Elijah was handing it to them on a silver platter. The God they claimed to serve was considered to be the sun god. You know, fire anyone, okay? And he was the god of storms. He could throw lightning. Hey, you believe in that god? Then let him do his thing. But from morning to noon they called and nothing. What does your belief produce? That's our question. We ought to ask people, what does your belief produce? For more than 50 years, Americans have indulged in ever more uninhibited sexual expression. 
It's no coincidence that prayer was outlawed in our schools at the same time. I don't know if you knew that. How long will we call out to our gods before we finally realize there is no answer there? In another not inconsequential occurrence, particles to people evolution has been forced on the throats of American children to the exclusion of any other thought for somewhat longer than that. How's that working out? How is our society doing? And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. How far should we go in our arguments? (laughs) Uh, I, I don't know if we should mock people, but... Understand that Elijah is attacking the belief. He uses a term for God that meant upper echelon or supreme God, but then he demeans him. (laughs) Musing. Can't pay attention to you because he's lost in thought? (laughs) Maybe he's trying to figure out what to do. In either case, he's not omniscient as Yahweh is said to be. The ESV renders, or translators use the words relieving himself. In the Hebrew, it said he is pursuing something in private. (laughs) Yeah, it's a euphemism for just what you think it is. They had humanized their gods to the point that this actually had to be considered as a possibility. Are you kidding me? Is he on a journey? Not omnipresent as Yahweh is. Sleeping, unlike Yahweh who never sleeps nor slumbers and always Here's us. Their gods were made in the image of man. So they've got to get his attention and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. They must have feared that Elijah was correct. This guy's busy. So they added their own human blood to the bulls. Because that's what Baal wanted, right? For them to sell their proposition to him. How serious are you? Isn't that how it works? And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. No voice. No one answered. No one Paid attention. How long before they finally admit they're wrong? Sadly, many in our society actually accept that no one will ever answer them. True naturalism, the idea that there is nothing but the material universe, no spiritual and hence no God, actually accepts that everything is pointless. That's a tenant of their faith. Everything is pointless. Well, they say that. And then they pontificate ad nauseum on their favorite soapbox at the moment, homosexual marriage. It sure seems like they want to make a point about some things, don't they? But in reality, no one wants to believe we are alone. SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, is all about not wanting to be alone, but not willing to accept a spiritual dimension. We can't believe we're alone, but we sure don't want there to be a God. Everybody wants an out for the mess we're in. And they know 
we can't discover the truth on our own, they know we can't do it on our own. But are we willing to pay the price? Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me! And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. There's something fun you got to catch here, by the way. The name Jacob, that name, it means deceiver. And God changed his name to Israel, Prince of God. Is this just maybe a message to the people? And <laughs> Did they get it? He had to repair the altar to worship Yahweh as they were to do at that stage in God's plan. All right. Maybe the church needs repairing. <laughs> maybe it does. But no matter how broken down it is, just like the altar then, it's still here. <laughs> and by the way, who broke it down? Eh, that's a whole other sermon. Why did he have to call the people to him? Were they over by the altar of Baal enjoying the show? <laughs> Have some in the church today been warming their hands at the altar of Baal? Enjoying the show, but at a safe distance, you know. And he made a trench about the altar, the great, as great as would contain two sihas of seed. And he put the wood in order and put the bull, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars, uh, like big barrels but made of pottery, with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Wait a minute. Wasn't there a drought? You can bet people were more than sensitive to the waste of water this way. I've had people tell me what a waste of money it is for a church to have a building. You have to just meet on the side of a hill. That's what Jesus did. <laughs> you spend a thousand dollars on a sound system when people are starving in Africa. I've heard it. I don't know what's right in need, given the situation. But I do know that we dare not let them forget the spiritual drought our nation is in, no matter what the cost. Because our spiritual drought is extreme. Do you know what the number one cause of death is among young black males, most of whom are on welfare in one way or the other? Do you know? It's murder at the hands of other young black men who are on welfare in one way or another. Kid you not. Number one cause of death. Does that sound right? Does anybody actually think that the absentee father epidemic we are suffering, less than half of children today live in a home with their birth father? Less than half. Does anybody think that's a good thing? The efforts of our own government to take over the role of church and family is unprecedented in human history. I think it's no wonder that that young black welfare girl Turned statesman, Star Parker, calls it Uncle Sam's plantation. We do live in an evil time. Not as bad as Elijah's time. But let's not sugarcoat our society's woes. Let's call evil, evil.
Why did Elijah call for so much water? For sure, to remind them of the cost of their wicked behavior. Maybe we have to do something extreme to make people realize how bad things have gotten. But then again, maybe the flood of water was to show that there's no hidden fire underneath the altar of Yahweh. More on that in a second. Right now, we're wondering with Elijah, is there any hope? And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. My first thought in this passage Are we grounded in the word, acting as his word says? In our time, every believer has the Holy Spirit living in them. Do we pray as fervently as Elijah? Does our name call out the name of our God? Is that how people see us? When they see us, is that what they're thinking? Are we servants? of the true God in that obvious sense. But you mostly catch that glorious promise with which Elijah ends his prayer. Who is it that turns their hearts back? The Lord, Yahweh. It has ever been grace and grace alone. Only if God steps in and draws us to himself does any person of any time have any hope as we see how God chooses to draw that particular group of people to himself, don't miss this important point. God's primary concern is for their hearts. And it would seem there was only one sure way to reach their hearts. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Note that fire did not come from the altar or underneath it, or even this world. Clark, an old commentator, said it this way. One, the fire came down from heaven. Two, the pieces of sacrifice were first consumed. Three, the wood next, the sacrifice, was not burned by wood. Four, the twelve stones were also consumed. It was no common fire, but one nothing could resist. Five, the dust, earth, of which the altar was constructed, was burned up. Six, the water that was in the trench was evaporated. Then he says, the action of this fire in every case downward, contrary to the nature of all earthly and material fire, nothing can be more simple and artless than this description, yet how amazingly full and satisfactory is the whole account. (laughs) It is awe-inspiring to be sure, and... Thus did God start a revival. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Lord is Yahweh. There was no denying this miracle, and they began to say what Elijah's name had said all his life. The Lord, he is God. What a sign. But did they really believe it? Or was the sign the important thing to them? Eight centuries later, Jesus answers some people who asked for a sign like that for which Elijah prayed. 
But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. At least twice Jesus berated people for asking for a sign in this same manner. Miracles can bring glory to God, but those who will not submit will not believe, even in the face of miracles. Did those people around Elijah really believe? The sad truth is that after Elijah and Elisha left the scene, the next generation of Israel went back to the Asherah groves and to serving the Baals. Only a remnant believed. The entire nation was eventually wiped out or hauled off. The northern kingdom, pretty soon after this, but the southern kingdom was also infested with this false belief, this worship of Baal, and suffered the consequences as well. A lifetime after both kingdoms fell, a very small remnant returned to this land and they never again worshipped Baal. God will eventually purify his people. Don't be left out. This whole miracles is a sign thing. During the tribulation, God's two witnesses will perform miracles and many will believe. But the prophet of the Antichrist will also perform miracles and many will choose to believe him. Don't look for the sign. Look for the true God. The God that was behind this sign for which Elijah called. And now he calls for something hard to hear. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Wow. That's harsh. Nowadays we say, Condemn the sin, not the sinner. But let us consider this. For sure, there's a miracle here. Was there murder involved here? Yes, murder was here. Let me explain. But all worship took many forms, but they all had the same end result. Let us look into one particular structure of a Baal altar at which these priests served. There was this huge face with a distorted mouth that almost horizontal. Okay. There were arms that joined the head just at the mouth. Okay, they hooked that way. The sacrifice that these 450 priests offered was slid down the arms and fell into the mouth. Okay, that's how it worked. They built this structure on a hill so that the arms were pointed up and uh, there was a lower side. It's kind of like a daylight basement that, that signed it off like that. That lower side was was a colossal fireplace, uh, kind of a furnace. And the chimney, that, that ended at the mouth, so the heat coming out the mouth. So hot was the fire that anything combustible would ignite into flames from the tremendous heat the moment it reached the mouth. It's a really good show that way. Anything that could be burned was consumed by the fire, and anything that survived the flames fell down the chimney and then ended up rolling out on the field below the furnace. Was Elijah's call for the death of these prophets of Baal murder? 
Or was this a legitimate execution? This is uh, the point where children uh, should not listen. <laughs> don't, don't be telling this to little kids. And if you're kind of weak of constitution, yeah, you, you can maybe plug your ears. I told you that Asherah priests were nothing more than self-sanctified pimps. So it will be no surprise to you that Asherah-related pleasure-seeking produced a lot of babies, babies they didn't want. The prophets of Baal offered a solution to this problem. Baal, you see, really loves these children. He wants them for himself. One particularly talented spin doctor amongst them, on observing the grimace from the physical shock as a baby felt the heat of the furnace, said, he's laughing, he's excited to see Baal. And they began to call that altar the laughing altar, the arms of Baal. Wow. In one particular archaeological site, not uh, just a few decades ago, in what was northern Israel, downhill from that daylight basement I told you about, of that Baal altar, were 29,000 infant skulls that they uncovered. One altar, and there were hundreds of these spread all over Israel. What kind of person would sacrifice their children? Usually it's religion. It is. Kamikaze soldiers, they were told they would gain a greater afterlife if they would sacrifice themselves. The children of Islam, or the God of Islam, I'm sorry, calls them to sacrifice their children. Tibetan Buddhists, they sacrifice children for themselves. That's <laughs> a whole other issue. But what are those who don't kill their children but live off them? I mean, there are welfare moms that are doing that. I hate to say it, but it is true. Some divorced parents deny their children the love of their ex-spouse, not really because it's good for the child, but because they want to use their children as a weapon against the one that they now hate. Michael Card has a famous song with a line he credits to Satan. Sacrifice your children, and for you it will be well. Beliefs have consequences. The severity of Elijah's action is undeniable. The question is, was it justified? The premeditated murders of 25,000 babies? Yeah, maybe it was. But have we forgotten the spiritual? Islam may say, sacrifice your son for God, but the scriptures say that God sacrificed his son for us. I believe that if any person who dies before the age of accountability, before they can understand and make a decision for Christ, is instantly held in the arms of Christ. Okay, that's I, I'm not worried about the babies. All right, just to let you know, I don't think you got to worry about the babies. That's not the issue, and I don't think Elijah was either. Elijah was concerned with the living children of Israel. Would they follow the true God and gain eternal life? We must not lose sight of the fact that eventually there will be a reckoning for every human. 
the nation Israel was condemned and destroyed. But a tiny remnant did come back. They did get it right. Most of them. You see, it's not the survival of the nation that matters. It's the spiritual state of the persons who make up the nation. That is what matters. A nation is really just the conglomerate actions of its individual citizens. The judging of a nation is based on that collective action. But the individual, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Do we believe these words of Jesus? Do we care about the spiritual health of the persons of our country enough to do something about it? The country will go as the people go. Will we confront evil? Why did Elijah confront evil? It wasn't so he could destroy the bad guys. It was to save those who would believe. Will we proclaim truth? Because without it, the lost will have a fate much, much worse than the unwanted children of Israel's wicked past. Will we base all we say on the word? Nothing else. No sign, no miracle will do the trick. Only knowledge of the true God. If we do confront evil with truth from the word of God, then we will see revival in America. In Washington, in Westport. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. A form of godliness. The prophets of Baal. Some even calling themselves Christians. Did you notice the first thing they love? That's right, themselves. (laughs) Avoid those people. And yes, like Paul and Elijah before him, we may have to oppose them if we truly love those who are listening to learn. Understand that a choice must be made. Choices have consequences. We need to ask those who will come over and listen to us to please choose Christ. That's our message, right? They must choose. All who choose any equivalent to Baal will eventually suffer the ultimate penalty. We don't want that for anyone. We don't want it for our country. Do you want an America that's not in trouble? Then we need more people who say the Lord, He is God. Okay? We simply need more individual citizens to choose Christ. That's it. That's all we need. Maybe if we rebuild the church as God wants it built, 
Maybe if we call evil, evil. Maybe if we are good servants of our Lord, grounded in his word, living as he said, maybe if we pray as fervently as Elijah, then we'll see God turn the hearts of our families, our friends, our neighbors, back to himself. And we will, once again, live in a nation of faith. Let's pray. Father, in a few short days, this entire nation will celebrate the conception of this nation in idea. July the 4th, Independence Day. But independence from what? How many of them remember that the primary reason this nation formed was to have freedom of worship, freedom to worship you in the way they understood it to be. Lord, that's what we want again. But we recognize that that's not the real goal. The real goal are those individual people who make up this country. Those are the ones that will go to heaven or to hell. We would love, (laughs) I know that's not possible, but if every single human being in America could go to heaven, I would love it. Lord, there's some way that you can involve us in your plan. I know that you want us involved in your plan. I know you're going to get these people to heaven. If they're going to go, they're going to go, and you're going to make sure they're there. But we'd like to be a part, and somehow we know that you work your plan around what we do. Don't understand how that works, but I do know that we can be a part. So, Lord, help us somehow to show people the truth. There is such a thing as as wrong, as evil. There are things that we are doing in this country that are wrong, and they will harm people. The ones participating and those that are victims of that. So, Lord, we ask that you give us a way to do it. And when we see those fireworks going off, remind us again how much you mean to every heart that they must, they must draw near to you if they're going to have true freedom. So help us to call out, come close to me and listen. Listen to what I have to say. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.